If you want to keep your Bibles open, let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, pause for a moment, ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we, we come before your throne of grace. We love you and praise you. We're so thankful for life, for the strength and the health and the freedom and the opportunity to be here to rejoice in our salvation, which is what we're most thankful for. We do, Father, long for Christ, our blessed hope, our eyes look to you today and through all of the challenges and uh, all, of the, all of the things that we face in this life and in our time, we are so thankful that you are almighty, that you are still on the throne, you are still sovereign, your grace is still sufficient. And so we, we lean upon you, rest in you, trust in you. And you are faithful, God, to carry us, to sustain us, to teach us. And we ask you, God, to teach us today. That you would teach us, Father, and and you would train us and you would help us to reach the next generation for Christ. That when our time here is gone and and we are in eternity with you that we will leave behind a congregation, a fellowship of believers who are not just surviving in a darker culture and world, but are thriving on the gospel. To do that, Father, we, we, we need your help, we need your grace, we need your guidance, we need direction. We need humility, we need unity, we need purpose and vision and burden. And all of those things, Father, are out of our grasp but are graciously given by you to us when we seek your glory and we seek to make disciples So help us today, Father. Help us today and and speak and and work in our hearts and in our lives. Give us a great zeal and a great passion, a tremendous desire and, 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 and single focus to pass on the faith, not just in name, not just in motion, but in seeing, Father, the next generation in love with Christ, living for Christ, worshiping Christ. To do that, Father, we, we sure need a lot of grace, and we ask that you would begin that great work in us today. We depend upon you, Father. This is your church, and we ask you to build it, not just for today, but in the days and years and decades, if you tarry, to come. 
It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Verse 10 in our text is one of the more startling verses of Scripture. In just one generation, the faith disappeared. Not only did this rising generation in Judges not know the Lord, they didn't even have the stories. They didn't even have the lingering narrative and testimonies. They lost the faith and they lost the history of the faith. They lost their connection, their heritage. Joshua's generation conquered and settled the promised land by faith. And because they were looking to God and following his direction, God moved mountains. God worked in tremendous, miraculous ways to get his people to the promised land. And they trusted in God and they followed God. And because of this, they enjoyed success and they enjoyed prosperity and and ease of life. They lived in the blessings of the promised land. And then there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord. They didn't even remember the miracle accounts. And it can happen in one generation, in one lifetime. So for today's message, I'm, I'm not going to go verse by verse as is my usual course of, of teaching the scripture to us. But rather, I want us to see today's text as a warning for us, as something to compel us, drive us, give us vision and a united purpose. To take heed, to pursue what what we need to pursue and, and do whatever we need to do so that behind us there will not arise a generation who does not know the Lord. So I just want to share my heart with you today. A burden that I've carried for some time and it just increases as the, as the culture around us continues to decline, my concern and burden continues to increase. This is what This is what keeps me up at night. This is what weighs upon my heart as I study, as I do ministry. I've shared with the staff. I've shared with the deacons. And today I share with you. 30 to 40 years ago, we we could make some assumptions in our culture. And we lived quite comfortably as believers in the culture in which we live because we could make some assumptions Due to the remnant of Judeo-Christian morals, we could assume that even unbelievers and non-church attenders around us held to basically the same moral beliefs. We could assume that, that parents who did not attend church at least wanted their children to some degree to be exposed to church. We could assume that, that even though non-believers may not agree with us on certain positions or issues or topics, 
we could still carry the assumption that we could respect one another as individuals and having different views and there was some some level of respect for a Christian worldview because somewhere in that person's family history or connection or wider circle they were related to a believer so there was a connection there that yielded a level of respect even though there may be vastly different and there may be heated debate there was still some remnant of respect but we can't make those assumptions anymore that was previous generations you just have to look around for just just a few moments study after study demonstrates that over the past few decades we we have clearly moved from being able to say we are a christian nation to what we've been warned for decades to come is what's called a post-Christian nation. That means the culture itself is losing the remnants and the shade of, of Christian moral, biblical truth and belief. And that correlates directly. That correlates directly with there's, there's, all, there's been a trend for decades now, decreasing numbers of baptisms in churches, decreasing numbers of professions of faith in churches, Decreasing numbers of church attendance. With that decreasing slide, there's also the, the knowledge of, of biblical truth. The knowledge of base, a basic biblical worldview and framework has drastically declined. There's very little biblical remnant in the culture and there's increasingly biblical illiteracy a, a basic biblical understanding even in the church of how to defend the faith how to explain the faith how to share the faith which is why we're we're doing things like the fall conference but even when we do things like that there's not much interest in shoring sure, up the faith Grounding, being grounded in the faith, it just continues to decrease a, a passion and a desire. Each new generation that arises indicates a remarkable decline in church attendance, church involvement, church participation, church commitment, church allegiance or service. A remarkable decline in professions of faith and biblical knowledge. And all of that's coupled with there's, there's a growing hostility in our culture towards the church. Because there's, there's issues and there's topics and there's decisions and there's things going on in our world in which sometimes the, the church is a singular voice. And so there's this growing antagonism towards the church and, and towards biblical truth and towards believers. Yet there's, there's a growing interest in spirituality. It's interesting. 
Because God created us body and soul, physical and spiritual, there's always a thirst to fill that spiritual void with something. So you can go back to generation X. That's my generation. And you can follow the trend to the millennials, to Gen Z, to I think the new one is generation Alpha. In other words, the rising generations live in a completely different culture than those of us who are older experienced. It's a completely different culture, a completely different context, completely different worldview. It's not the same. When you remember how things were when you were growing up, that's not how things are where your children and grandchildren are growing up. It's not the same. Everywhere they turn, 24-7, 365, they are inundated with voices and standards and ideologies that are opposed to gospel truth. Whereas just 40, 50 years ago, you could turn around in culture and find voices everywhere that were affirming biblical truth. It's the opposite. And coupled with that, that there's, there's a saturation of voices, and, and a lot of this is... Um, you know, with, with the rise of social media, we, we are never, as a culture, we are, we are never out of touch with information and voices now. Never. Except when we're asleep. And then we get a notification and we, and we check the text. Or the whatever it is. So coupled with this complete 24-7, 365 saturation of what everybody else in the world is doing and what they like and what they affirm and what they think and what their opinions are, which 90% happen to be anti-gospel. Coupled with that, there, there are no voices speaking the gospel, speaking gospel truth into so many lives in our culture. There are so many lives that are absolutely cut off from an influence and a, 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 a loving, positive speaking of biblical truth. Even in the home. So we used, to, we, we used to minister to people who they were not in church, but their parents were in church. So there was a context there. And then we moved to ministering to people who were, were not in church and their parents were not in church and their grandparents, but at least their grandparents were in church. There was a context. In our culture today, we're ministering to people who they're not in church, their parents are not in church, their grandparents are not in church. There is no context. There is no framework other than what, how the world defines the church. That's their context. How the world defines biblical truth and standard and morals. That's their context. That's where we live. And that's who God has called us to minister to. Increasingly, a post-Christian 
context. And it has a tremendous, and it is having a tremendous impact and effect. Both on the generation outside of the church and the rising generation in the church. It's a tremendous effect. You can't jump in the ocean and not get wet. And you can't be surrounded by constant darkness without losing light. As we become influenced by the world's view rather than than God's view, our system of morals, our system of ethics, our our worldview, our, our system of right and wrong begins to shift, begins to adjust, begins to change. And once that takes hold, our allegiance to Scripture begins to wane because Scripture is so very clear on these things. So our, our, our allegiance to Scripture begins to wane, and therefore our allegiance to evangelical sound churches that teach the biblical truth begins to lose interest. And eventually, if that trajectory remains, eventually our view of God and our view of salvation will change. And that's why it's so dangerous. And you can observe it. In my lifetime, in one generation, I have observed this growing trend. It is... It has happened so remarkably fast. I've observed in my lifetime the the increasing influence of the world and the decreasing influence of the church and the gospel and scripture in rising generations. So the, the question for us today is, what will come after us, church? And you look around today, you, you probably look around at the sanctuary today and you say, Pastor Will, we, we got a good crowd here today. What's the problem? Well, well, the issue is I'm not talking about this one particular day. I'm talking about what's coming to replace this. Who are we raising up, building up, winning to the gospel, discipling, maturing in the faith? What will come after us? Will it be Judges 2 that we read? We just read that passage. Absolutely startling and shocking. Judges 2 says, There arose a generation that did not know the Lord. Will Judges 2 be the next generation for Grassy Pond? Or or will it be Acts 2? Acts chapter 2 says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that's what I desire to see. That's what I pray to see. 
as the believers were gathering together, as they were celebrating the Lord, as they were sharing their faith, as they were suffering for their faith, people were pouring to the gospel because they were seeing authentic, genuine Christian lives live, living out the sound truth of the gospel in Scripture. This coming December... I can't believe I'm saying this, but this coming December, I will, I will be the big 5-0. Now, that happened fast. So, I understand my, my, my potential and my uh, energy level and my time... I understand all of that now. And I understand that I, I want to give every bit of energy and time I have left to seeing the next generation in love with Jesus. And I'm here today to ask you, Grassy Pond Baptist Church, to join me with that same passion and vision, to unite with that same purpose. And so the, the points of the message today is just some adjustments, some things we've got to look at, some realizations we have to come to so that we are doing everything we can to reach the next generation, that they may take this church into the next 100 years of ministry if God tarries. So number one, let's, let's just consider these things. Number one, the gospel never changes, but its context does. And that's where some churches go horribly wrong, some believers go horribly wrong, some ministries go horribly wrong, is as the context around them changes, their message changes to try to suit, to try to stay relevant. And that's where if, if your message changes and you lose the gospel, you're not even a church. If you water the message down, you lose the power of the truth. The gospel will always be the same gospel, and the message of the truth, the Bible, will always be the same truth. It never changes. Jesus will always be the only Savior. John 14 the truth of Scripture will always be the only truth that sets people free. That's John 17. Those things will never change. But the context in which that gospel is found and in which the Scripture is found, that does change. And I want to give you an illustration of that. The first time that I went to... Kenya must have been 30 years ago I lived for two weeks in the home of the pastor I was it was the first time in that village of Tariki that for most of the people there they had ever seen a white dude now pastor John and I we we hold to the same gospel the last time we went to Kenya Barry and um, Talitha Jennifer went with us just a few years ago. 
still holding to the same gospel, still holding to the same truth, no matter where you go, because those things do not change for genuine, true believers. But let me tell you, the context of the gospel in Kenya when I arrived there 30 years ago was a completely different context than I was used to. Completely different context. I was in a different world. Same gospel, same truth, different context. Everywhere I went, people were looking at me saying, Mzungu, Mzungu. I said, Pastor, what are they saying? He's saying, they're saying, white boy, white boy. And the little kids would run up to me and, and they would rub my, they'd rub my arm, my forearm, and then they'd laugh and run off. I said, Pastor, what are they doing? He said, they're seeing if they can rub the color off. You're a colored man over here. Context was completely different, especially when I arrived at church. 30 years ago, we met under some trees. There was no building. There was no air conditioning. I, I walked in the sanctuary today. Most of you say it's too cold in here. This morning, it was too hot. I walked in there and said, Martin, is the air on? Because I knew, I knew what I was going to be preaching. I'm in the hot seat today. We need some air. But over that, they, we just met under the trees. The church gathered. They had a few chairs sitting there for the guests. And then they started worshiping. They started singing. And they started doing this. I'm saying, okay. And then they started, people started coming to the, to the front of their gathering. And they were going down and going up and singing and, and clapping and dancing and singing and going around and around and, and making circles. And I was just sitting in the chair going, wow. And Pastor John looked over at me and said, come, Dr. Will. And I said, well, what do you mean? Come, come join us, Dr. Will. So I certainly can't dance, but I got up there and did something. And it made them happy because that was their context. That was their context. But it was the same gospel. When it came time for me to share, we opened up the Bible. He had his translation. I had my translation, but it was the same Bible. You see, the gospel never changes, but its context does. And our cultural context today is not the same as it was 40, 30, 20, even 10 years ago. We live in a different cultural context where right is now wrong. We, we live in a context that's completely different in terms of technology. It is on the fast track. It is different every day. It is completely it's in high gear. You can't keep up with it. Where information is constant. We are more connected now today than we've ever been. And we're also more lonely and depressed and discouraged than we've ever been. Because there's a, there's a false sense of relationship and deep significant meaning. So the gospel never changes, but the context does. Second thing, second realization, as the context changes, so must gospel ministry. Not the gospel, not the message of the Bible, but the ministry to communicate and relate 
that gospel and that truth. The tools and the methods to do that. We can't reach this present generation with the gospel if we are using ministry methods for previous generations. If we're doing things the way we've always done things, we're missing that the context is changing and so must gospel ministry to remain effective with the changing climate around us. The same gospel, for lack of a better term, the same gospel must be repackaged for its current context to be able to connect and relate and communicate with the language and the culture and the, 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 the type of understanding that is present in a coming generation. I mean, 20 years ago, if you were sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, you, you could start with a simple gospel presentation. And most of the time, the person's kind of understood what you meant because there was some background, some history of a, of a gospel understanding. But now we find people that there is no biblical basis, there is no biblical reference there are no family members. There are no growing believers in their lives. And, and so in order to get to the gospel, we don't just jump right in. Many times we have, we have to build a relationship. We have to develop a friendship. And our life then becomes the context to be able to understand the biblical truth. That's the text that we're studying for our fall conference. Always be prepared to give an answer for those who ask about the hope that's in you. In other words, your, your life is a gospel context that people want to know about. But you've got to be around them. They've got to be around you. You've got to be in a relationship for them to notice that hope, to take note of it. We've, we've, got to, we, we've got to begin with friendship and relationship. We've got to begin with hospitality. We've we got to begin with living in each other's lives and, and in each other's world. Many times, we, in order to get to the gospel, we've got to begin with the story of creation now. Same gospel, same biblical truth, but a different package. Now, let me say this, there, there is nothing, there's nothing biblically wrong with previous methods of gospel ministry. That is not what is being communicated today. Many of our uh, previous methods or even maybe some of our current methods, they have been greatly effective over the years in their context in their context, in their day, in their prime. But as the present context changes, previous methods and ministries and tools and resources and ways of, of worship and ways of communicating the gospel and ways of discipling and all of those things, previous message, methods, there's nothing wrong with them. It just might be they're simply out of date. They've simply seen their prime. They've, they've had their time. But if we continue to hang on to them when they're out of date, eventually we become out of touch. And that's the danger, church. We must always be revitalizing, always be redreaming, always be thinking, 
always be adjusting. You've heard the definition of insanity, right? To keep doing the same things and expecting different results, but kind of adjusting that definition is, is to keep doing the same things today, expecting yesterday's results, expecting yesteryear's results. Let me give you a few illustrations that I think are helpful. First of all, think of this. The landline phone. How many of you still have a landline phone at your house? Few hands. Few hands up. There's nothing wrong with a landline phone. And back in the day when landline phones were new, you needed one. You should have one. They were very helpful. They, a landline phone still amazes me, not much less a smartphone. But you find more and more homes today that don't even have a landline because we have what we call the smartphone, right? The phone is now smarter than we are. It can do things that we can't. It can tell us things that we don't know, right? It is actually smarter than we are. The smartphone. Now, what we can't do as a church is invite the smartphone generation to come into our church and worship like landline phones or minister with a landline phone. Leave your smartphone in the baskets. We're using landlines. It's not going to reach this generation. We've got to be careful, church, because we like to hold on to things. I like to hold on to things. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're feeling. You, you were in a program when you were a young kid and you hold on to that because it was so special to you and you want it to be special to them and you want it to keep being special. But programs are not sanctified. Programs are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Programs are tools. Tools are meant to be used where they need. You need a wrench where you need a wrench. You need a hammer where you need a hammer. Tools are meant to be changed according to the need. Here's another one. This is one we can, another one we can all identify with. The King James Version and modern English translations. There is nothing wrong with the King James Version. When I first became a believer, 15 years old, my first Bible that I was given as a believer was King James Version. But why is it that these modern English translations like the English Standard Version that you hear me talk about so much. Why is it that, 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 that when they began to be produced, they, they exploded? Why? Because the rising generation didn't want to say thee and thou and worked and art. Because they never talk like that. They don't write like that. I don't write like that. We don't write like that. So we wanted a Bible that speaks to us how? In our context. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and many of you still have a King James Version. I still got them on my, uh, in my shelf. I reference it from time to time. Many of you still bring them here to church and use the King James Version. Good for you, but it's no more sanctified or inspired than the English Standard Version. 
It's a translation. Now, I know there are some churches that will die on that point and will mark me as a heretic for saying what I just said, but a translation is a translation. Paul didn't write in Old English. He wrote in Greek. What's inspired is the original text. So the tools change. Pastor John in Kenya doesn't read King James Version. He reads Swahili. The Swahili Bible. Different context. Same gospel. Same Bible. Here's another one. We are increasingly today living in a, in a cashless checklist society right hardly anyone carries cash lesser fewer people write checks everything is moved to to first of all moved to plastic now it's moved on from plastic to the phone right if this is where the rising generation lives then this is where we need to be am i wrong I think some of you think I'm wrong. (laughs) If that's where the people are, that's where we need to be. If we're going to win them, if we're going to connect with them, if we're going to be friends with them, relate to them, if they're going to see us and the hope that's in us. How are we going to raise a next generation of giving? One, One of the strengths of Grassy Pond church is its level of giving sacrificial to the ministry to the gospel to missions how are we going to pass that on to a generation that doesn't use cash or checks these are the kinds of things we've got to be thinking here's another one not an illustration another point under this Number two is our worship, our, our, our worship service. As the context changes, so must gospel ministry. So how we look, how we sound, what we do. If younger generations think our church reminds them of days gone by, then it won't be a church that they think that's where I need to be. That's just a truth. I don't get paid enough to stand up here and tell you this. But it's the truth. Our church must be a church for all. Our church must be a church for them, the next generation. So that leads us to the third point. Ministry changes require mindset changes. And that's really where it begins. It really begins in the heart. To change change the mind, the heart has to change, and that's a work that only God can do. But as God changes our hearts, then our mindset begins to change, and then our ministry changes. So here's some ways we have to adjust our mindsets. I'm going to go through three things right here. Number one, rather than asking 
when can we get back to doing things like we used to do them? And I've heard people ask that, and I understand it, and I get it. And I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm, I'm not preaching against that. I'm preaching for what we need. So rather than asking, when will we get back to doing things like we used to do them, we need to have a mindset change where we start asking what are some new ways and new methods and modern tools and fresh ideas that will connect and impact and reach and disciple this generation and therefore carry our church into future decades of ministry? So the mindset change is for us to, to stop looking back. We, we look back to celebrate all that God has done but we don't look back for understanding of ministry and start looking forward. Start looking forward. That's a mindset change. And that's a difficult one. It's difficult. Change is always difficult. I mean, I, I'm a complete man of routine. You don't understand how much I am a person of routine. Talk to Summer sometime. If something comes up in my day and upsets my routine, I almost fall apart. It takes me a while just to, just to get, get my mind back there. I don't like change either, but change is necessary. Anything that's growing is changing. Any, anything that's growing is changing. So if a church is growing, it's changing. So here's another mindset adjustment, mindset change. Rather than emphasizing what I like or what I prefer, let's adopt the mindset of whatever it takes to win and disciple the next generation. Whatever it takes. Instead of asking or thinking about the way we used to do, let's begin asking what do we need to do? to win and disciple the next generation. You know, over the past, just, just, take, just take music, for example, because that's always the one that everybody goes to, and you've all, you've all heard of the worship wars and all this kind of stuff. But in the past 40 years, church music has gone through at least four phases. At least four phases. And there's nothing wrong with any of these phases. There's nothing anti-biblical. We begin with the hymns, and I like hymns. I like most hymns. I don't like all hymns. I like the biblical ones. But I like, I, you know, there were hymns, and then there were praise and worship courses. I remember my church, I remember growing up in my church and going through, I've lived through all of these phases. There was the praise and worship chorus phase. Then there was the contemporary song phase. And now we're in what I'm calling the modern worship song phase. And that's been an adjustment for me to, to, to listen because it's a, different, it's a different style. It's a different kind of music. Today's modern worship songs are, are different. It took me a while to latch on to them. But you know what helped me latch on to them? It's been several months ago now. Summer and I attended a conference to listen to a, a very well-known uh, mission speaker. In fact, the, uh, the, the author of the book, The Insanity of God. 
we went to Columbia to hear him speak. And most of the people in that gathering were 40 years of age and younger to hear this man speak about missions. We were some of the older ones gathered. And the ones leading the singing and the, and the ones on stage and the choir were, were all people in their 20s. And when they worshiped, they were all singing and worshiping and raising their hands and knew all of the lyrics and were glorifying God. And I thought, if that's what this generation connects with and how they worship, I don't care if I have to adjust or not, I'll sing that all day long. I'll sing it all day long if it will minister and disciple and draw the next generation into a fellowship and a communion with their Savior. Got quiet. Here's a third mindset change. Rather than saying, that's the way we've always done it, let's start saying, what would be the best, most effective way to do it? The goal of Grassy Pond Baptist Church is not to do whatever it takes to stay the same. The goal of Grassy Pond Baptist Church is to do whatever it takes to win souls and make disciples to further the church, to grow the church, to win people, to win families. That the church might continue strong as it's ever been in generations to come. So let's go to the fourth and final Point, I just want to give a couple of what I see as practical changes for the next generation. Things that we need to pursue. At least begin here. There, there's always things, right? The church is always reforming. The church is always adjusting and changing. There will be always things. There will be more things. But here's some things to get us started. Number one, Pursue a truly blended service. A truly blended service. So what I mean by that is that we, we tell people, we say that Gracie Pond has a, we, we have blended worship because we sing hymns and we sing new songs. But a, a blended service is really more than an occasional new song or, or an occasional older song. It's really more than that. And so I'm I'm not saying that we need to stop doing everything we are currently doing. Please don't hear me saying that I'm calling for just a completely radical undoing of everything that we currently do. and, And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not even saying that we quit singing hymns. What I'm saying is that we need to make sure our worship services are connecting and impacting 
every generation. Every generation. And that means we need some changes. I'm not asking for a radical overhaul. And don't hear me saying we need to look at this church over here in Cherokee County and this church over here in Cherokee County and whatever they're doing, we need to copy. That's not what I'm saying. Let them be them and let them be them and let Grassy Pond be Grassy Pond, but we must be changing and adjusting as our context does around us if we are going to continue to thrive into future generations. That doesn't mean we can't learn from churches around us that are reaching younger generations better than we are. We're humble enough to know we can learn. But I'm not saying we copy. We are who we are, but we need to be changing and having a vision for the future. And that begins with the very worship service. So I'm not just talking about songs. I'm talking about order of service, everything. We need to take a look at everything and be a truly blended service. So that each person that comes in here, whether they're 20 years old or 80 years old, can sit in a worship service here and leave and be able to say, that's a place for me. That's a place for me. And a lot of that's environment, right? A lot of that's the spirit, the ministry of the church, the people who are gathered, not just the structure. So that's why we're doing, that's why we're putting forth a, a new welcome ministry to always be warm and inviting and welcoming and ministering to folks who are here. Second thing is this, take a look. We need to take a look at our programs, at our ministries, at our activities and we need to work towards what I call streamlining ministry. And I, what I mean by that is, is our purpose as a church is, our purpose is not to stay busy, to be busybodies. Our purpose is rather to be effective, to be winning and discipling people. So are we winning people with this? Are we discipling people with this? If not, or if not to the degree of, of what the potential should be, should we change this? Should we remove this? Should we replace this? Should we delete this? Should we do something different? We need to be making the, that needs to just be a part of our DNA, a part of our church family life. Rather than locking into something that's, that's been effective in the history of the church as if it will always be effective just because it used to be effective. If we continue to do everything we've always done, we, we wear out our volunteers and workers. And when we do that, our ministry is less than excellent. And we just begin to push through. We've got all these activities, but we, we, we show up and we push through them. And it's not ministry. It's not effective. Because we're wearing ourselves thin. We're, we're stretching ourselves thin instead of taking ourselves deep. We need to do fewer things better with excellence. When we think, what are the things that, that Grassy Pond does? We don't need to think ministry and program. We don't need to start listing a bunch of activities. 
when we think, what, what, does, what has God called Grassy Pond to do? Worship, evangelism, missions, discipleship, fellowship. And how we go about doing those things come and go. But they come and go according to how effective they can be at worship, evangelism, missions, discipleship, fellowship. How can we most effectively accomplish those things rather than just trying to keep the wheel going, trying to keep the machine moving to keep doing what we've always done? Practical changes. We need to make adjustments. I'll end with this. I'll conclude with this. I've given you a lot to think about, probably a lot to, I hope not to be too disgruntled about. By the way, if you have any questions, if you, have, if you want to talk, if you have any ideas, my door is open. Um, you don't have to call each other and say, well, what do you think the pastor means? You can call the pastor. We can talk. Let me conclude with this. Churches grow and move into future decades by winning people to Christ and discipling students and singles and young families. Now, we minister to and we seek to reach everyone of every age. But if we're not reaching the rising generation, the church will not survive. It will plateau It will then decline, and eventually the Wednesday night crowd will be the Sunday morning crowd. And every church says, oh, that won't happen here until it happens. And you can look around, and I can look around at churches around us where that has happened. Why? How? A failure to reach the next generation. The gospel didn't change, but the context did. As the context changed, the ministry didn't change. The ministry didn't change because the mindset didn't change. And there continued to arise another generation. But I'm... I'm, I'm, I want to be encouraging as I conclude the message. We can do more than survive. We can thrive. If we understand our current context and shape our ministry to meet this generation, if we will have a burden and a vision to unite and do whatever it takes, if we will wrap gospel ministry in a, patch, in a package that connects with, the, with this generation, we will see a generation arise who do know the Lord and who do know of his greatness and of his grace. Listen to me carefully. Grassy Pond has been a strong church for 163 years. So let us strive to put in place now the kind of ministry that it requires to last for 163 more if God tarries. Let's pray. Father, it's a difficult message. 
But we know each, each and every one of us, we know in our heart of hearts, as we look at the cultural context around us, we're not living in the same place that we used to live in. Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are coming up in a different world. And while we hold to the very same gospel, because Jesus is the same Savior, and the Scripture is the eternal, inspired, divine Word of God, we hold to the same truth. We, we do understand, Lord, as difficult as it may be, to let go of some things that have been that are sentimental to us, have been meaningful to us, and, and latch on to some new things. We understand, Father, that if we're not doing that, if we're not reaching the next generation, they're going to grow up and not know the Lord. So help us, Father, to have that passion and burden and vision to do whatever it takes, however you lead us, whatever tools we can apply that we might see the coming generations in love with Christ, loving to serve one another, loving the church, loving each other, growing in grace, thriving in their spiritual life, standing in the truth of the word of God, sharing the gospel, living the gospel. Lord, you've done it before and you can do it again. And we pray to see it here, right here, even in this church. To God be the glory. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.